as the kids are making their way out, a um, couple of announcements. We're doing Christmas caroling this month. We'd love for you to join us. You do not have to be good at singing, um, which that's good news for me. So uh, please join us. There's three dates. Uh, they are on this backboard. You can sign up there. Uh, we'll be going to local nursing homes. And in conjunction with that, we want to give all of the residents of these nursing homes a gift bag. And so you can help us do that by sponsoring a bag. Uh, it costs $5 dollars. It's a $5 donation to sponsor a bag, and you can give that donation to Sherry or Lola. Miss Sherry helps us uh, lead worship every Sunday. So um, please do that. Check out those dates before you leave. We are looking at Matthew chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to take a break from Mark uh, for the Advent season. Uh, we are getting ready for Christmas. We want to celebrate the arrival of Christ. Advent means arrival. And I think it's important to be reminded today that Jesus changes everything. And so when Jesus shows up on the, on the scene, things change. Um, and that's important to remember because we are going through a difficult time. Do you all remember the year 2020? You remember that? It was the year from hell, right? The Bible says that hell, is there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and uh, there's a lack of resources. You're thirsty, but there's nothing to drink, and it just feels like the, the fire's burning, but it doesn't burn you up. The worms eat, but they don't eat you up, and it's just miserable. And that was the year 2020. There was fires and looting and uh, corruption and no toilet paper, and it was just a big mess. And I thought, personally, I thought 2021 was going to be the bounce back year. How many of you felt like we're going to get to January and things are just going to magically turn around and this is going to be a much better year, can't get any worse? And 15 days to slow the spread turned into 15 months to just take your, your life and soul and will all away. And here we are, and what we see, we see corruption in politics, we see... Uh, the stock market took a dip the other day. It's going the wrong direction. More people died in 2021 than died in the year 2020. Did you know that? Um, products are costing more and more. It's going to cost it costs you more to buy your turkeys this year. It's going to cost you more to buy Christmas presents. Your the dollar is worth less and less. Uh, China every other month it seems like they're creating a new way to destroy humanity, and it's just it's a mess. There's a new COVID. Sp- Strand Decepticon 2021, it's, it's, it's upon us. And so you, you just look around, and it just doesn't seem like there's much room for optimism, right? Um, I could go on and on, but things aren't trending in a positive direction. And what I see are a lot of people just running out of steam. I see a lot of people falling into despair and giving up hope and just feeling like things can't get better. Anxiety, depression, anger, frustration, crime, abuse, poverty, all those things are on the rise, and it just seems like joy, peace, hope, kindness, compassion. Those things are decreasing by the day. And so to me, this is the best time, the perfect time for us just to pause from kind of everything else we're doing and spend some time being reminded of the arrival of Christ, being reminded that the Christmas story is the ultimate proof for those that are hurting, there is hope, that there is hope. So let's look to get today at Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's word. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. 
But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant, give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord, Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Let's pause today and be reminded that Jesus Christ was born into a world marked by despair in order to give us hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Uh, we come, uh, Lord, with empty hands. We have absolutely nothing to offer you, nothing to barter with. Uh, we're just here, and we all recognize that we just can't do this thing without you. We can't, Lord. We're in desperate need of you. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that you'll honor us. We've, we're closing our eyes. We're bowing our heads. We've got your word open. We're, we're singing praises to your name uh, because we just long for more and more of you. Holy Spirit, just come and speak through me. And I pray that these words fall on ears that are ready to hear and eyes that are ready to see and a heart that's ready to receive. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer or something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I think we need to start today by being reminded that without God, there is no hope. Without God, there is no hope. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, at that time, you were without Christ. Because you were without Christ, you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. Without God, there is no Savior. There is no salvation. There is no heavenly city. There is no eternal promises. Without God, without God, uh, this passage uh, says, without God, that Greek word is actually just one word, atheos. It's the word from which we get our word, atheist. So atheist, without God, a worldview in which you don't believe there is a God, we are just stardust in that worldview. From that understanding, we are nothing but bags, skin bags of chemical reactions. We are a cosmic accident. We came from nothing. We are destined for nothing. Everything you see, it absolutely means nothing. Without God, what little hope that we have is, is built on what we can see. Now, it seems like in our culture, it seems like people are becoming less religious, but that's actually not the case. Actually, what's happening is we've ju we're just exchanging, our culture is exchanging religions. We've taken from putting our hope in Christ and putting our hope in the Word of God, and we've exchanged our hope in Christ for hope in humanity, hope in people like St. Fauci and King Andy and Sleepy Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the commander in tweets, Donald J. Trump. We're putting our hope not in Christ, but in man. More and more, this is what you see, our world hasn't become less religious, it's simply exchanged religions. And the fastest growing religion in Western civilization is politics. It's politics. It's wokeism and statism and nationalism. We've just exchanged who we're worshiping. Uh, politics is the fastest growing. Everything is political. Have you noticed that? From football games to a pandemic, everything has been politicized because it's become, 
it's become a cult. It's become a religion to so many people. And of all the political denominations, the one that has garnered the most attention seems to be the center stage is socialism. Now, uh, that makes sense because socialism actually was birthed out of an anti-religion worldview. Uh, it, it was birthed out of this idea that re- religion needed to be replaced. Uh, socialism is a pit stop on the way to communism. Communism was fathered by a man named Karl Marx. He wrote the Communist Manifesto, and in it he said that socialism is just a stepping stone to get to a place of communism. Uh, Karl Marx was an atheist. Uh, he, he believed that there was, there is no God. He is famous for saying religion is the opiate of the masses. He's famous for saying that. And his idea, uh, in order for humanity to reach its, its potential, that people needed to give up on the illusion of God. They needed to give up on this illusion that there was heavenly uh, redemption. Redemption coming from a spiritual place into the physical realm. He said, we need to give up on that, and we need to focus on our problems and fix problems for ourselves. And so from Mark's perspective, from a communist perspective, from a socialist perspective, It's up to humanity to fix humanity's problems and create a utopia. The communist vision for heaven is a place where people have everything in common. Uh, That's that's why it's associated with the word communism. Everything's in common. No disparity between people groups. So no one owns anything, and because no one owns anything, no one has to work. Because everything is free, there is no competition. Uh, Then, in that place where there's no competition... Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's going to be actual peace in that place and prosperity, and we'll be able to enjoy leisure. Uh, and, and so what we see is this cult is, is got these tentacles wrapped around all these different fragments and, and segments of society. I'll, I'll, I'll point a few of them out. It, as you start looking at this, you'll see it more and more places. So, for instance, the highest virtue in this worldview is equality. Have you noticed we're, we're hearing a whole lot more in our world about equality? Equality. Because that's what heaven looks like. Uh, equality, not of opportunity, but equality of outcomes. Everybody ends up in exactly the same place with exactly the same things. Uh, the greatest sin in this worldview is privilege. Because privilege is just a sign of a power structure, a hierarchy of power and uh, privilege. And so uh, the Savior is Big Brother. Now, socialists wouldn't use that terminology, but it's a nameless, faceless organization to which society entrusts all of its resources. And and this Big Brother, this nameless, faceless organization is going to be selfless and benevolent, and it's going to be able to adequately and accurately and fairly distribute all the resources among all the citizens. Um, and, And so this is what we see. We have these social justice warriors. How many of you know somebody that's a social justice warrior? I think we all know somebody. If, if we don't know them personally, we see them on uh, social media or we work with them. And social justice warriors have become the street preachers, the evangelists of this movement, of this worldview. By intimidation or guilt or the threat of being canceled, uh, they will do everything they can to make you comply. Their goal is to force you to repent of your privilege and to become an advocate or an activist for the oppressed, to become anti-hierarchical power structures, to become anti that. And so you're going to hear a lot about anti-fill-in-the-blank, anti-fascist, anti-capitalist, anti-racist. 
Have you noticed this language more and more? And, and with these social justice warriors, if you know any of them, then have you noticed that you have to be careful what you say around these people and, and the kind of conversations that you can have with them? Uh, because if you say the wrong thing or you, you don't comply or agree with their definition of, let's say, racism or you don't agree with their definition of fascism, uh, then they'll get angry with you. Uh, if, if they're a candidate that they're hoping gets elected or a position that they're hoping will be filled by a certain person, if that doesn't happen, then they'll get triggered. Just this past week, I saw that they're taking down a statue of Thomas Jefferson in the Northeast. Did you guys see this? Taking down a statue of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, one of the founders of our country wrote the uh, Declaration of Independence, big person in the Constitution. And so uh, they're taking it down. And, and the ed- edict for why they're taking this down uh, it read something like this, uh, that passerbyers don't have the ability to give consent to this troublesome in- image. And so from their understanding, people are walking down the street and they're seeing a, pa- a statue of Thomas Jefferson and they're getting triggered by the statue of Thomas Jefferson. Why? Because Thomas Jefferson represents hierarchical power structures. He represents privilege, and it triggers these people. And so what we see is a statue of Thomas Jefferson is taken down, and it's replaced with, not in this case, but in a lot of places, uh, the statue that's, that's being resurrected right now or erected right now is statues of George Floyd. Why does that make sense? Well, George Floyd, he represents those who are marginalized and oppressed. And so to us, we hear this, and it's like, well, this is... This is upside down. This is not right. We're, we're making heroes of the wrong kind of people. We're demonizing the wrong kinds of people. What's going on here? It's so skewed in our perspective, but to them, this, all this makes sense because this, this politics, this worldview, this way of navigating the world, this is their hope of heaven. If you won't agree to their terms, if you won't admit to your privileged guilt, if you won't trust the government with your health care choices then you are part of the problem, and because of you, we will never see heaven on earth. Social justice warriors are fragile, uh, and they're easily triggered because their worldview is fragile. What they've based their hope on is fragile. And some may say, well, what's wrong with this worldview? What's wrong with looking at the world? What's, how can you argue against anti-fascism? Who wants to be a fascist? Why wouldn't you want equality? Equality sounds like a great thing. Why would you not want that? Socialism, communism, Marxism, wokeism, all a different name for the same product. It is an anti-Christ. It is an anti-savior. It promises salvation. It says if you, if you will organize your world in accordance with these principles, then we will enter into a utopia. It promises a salvation, but all it has ever delivered is tyranny, oppression, destitution, and death. That's all it's ever delivered. And this is what happens when you start walking down this road. Then there are certain people that make up Big Brother. And they're the ones that are, are more benevolent, and they're more wise, and they're more educated than you. And so you can trust them with all your freedoms, and you can trust them with all your resources. For instance, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter in 2020 raised billions of dollars. One of the founders of Black Lives Matter, uh, a self-professed Marxist, uh, in, year, in the year 2020, she bought four vacation homes with this billions and billions of dollars that was raised. Uh, there's a man who is uh, the largest proponent of anti-racism. Uh, he also is a 
a self-professed Marxist, a communist. And this is his worldview, and this is what he preaches. And so he says that, you know, capitalism is evil and that, you know, we, we should uh, just everything, equality of outcomes, equality of outcomes, uh, let's tear down all the power structures. Do you know how much he gets paid for a one-hour online talk? $20 million for one one-hour talk. Okay, and so these are the people we're entrusting all of our resources with. And what happens when you entrust the elite with all of your resources and all of your freedoms? Well, you get communist Russia, where hundreds of millions of people died in a decade. You get communist China, where hundreds of millions of people starved to death. You get Cambodia, where a quarter of the population was killed, was murdered, because of trying to institute this worldview. What's wrong with socialism? It does not work. That's what's wrong with it. Now, here's the question that you got to ask. Well, why are there so many people that are like work, walking towards socialism? Why are there so many wannabe socialists? Well, the answer to that question is, and, and this is what some of you guys are not going to like, is co- uh, capitalism isn't perfect. It's not perfect. Now, I'm not to say that, you know, it, it's not the best that we've seen. Not to say that, you know, it hadn't served us well for 200 years. It is to say this, uh, these people that are, want to be socialists, they look at capitalism and they see a lot of problems. There's, there's problem with corporate greed in America. There's a problem when Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are spending billions of dollars to build a toy rocket that can fly them to the moon when you've got diabetics dying in our country because they can't afford insulin. There's a problem there. Now, here, here's the point of all this. This might not seem like this is a Christmas message, uh, but here's the point of all this. Humanity can't save itself. That's the point. St. Fauci can't save you. King Andy can't save you. Sleepy Joe can't save you. Donald J. Trump is not the Savior. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She will give birth to a son. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. There's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. He was born into the world to save his people from their sins. There is no other name. There is no other way under heaven by which humanity will be saved. He alone is our hope. Matthew begins with a genealogy genealogy that connects Jesus all the way back to Abraham. Now, Abraham, his life marks the point in history, in human history, where God picks out one family in particular, and he he blesses them. He calls them his family. He says, I will, be your, I will be your God. You'll be my people. And the purpose of this family is to become a great nation. The purpose of this, gracious, this nation is to become a great blessing to all the nations. And so if anybody could kind of set humanity right and fix the problems of this world, you, you would think it would be this family that has an anointing and a promise from God. But in Matthew chapter 1, we follow this family for 42 generations. And they just can't, you follow them for 22 generations, and they just can't ever get things right. It's one mess up, one mistake, one sin, one scandal after another for 42 generations. There's five women listed in this genealogy. Uh, That's unheard of in ancient genealogies. Nowhere else will you find women listed in genealogy. Of the five women, three of them are associated with a sexual scandal at the highest levels of uh, this nation. Uh, there is a man that's featured in this genealogy of Jesus who sold his own brother into slavery. There's a man, a king, featured in this genealogy of Jesus 
who had one of his best soldiers, one of his best commanders killed in order to save himself from public shame. And so this is what you see. Without Christ as king, the kingdom goes to hell. Without Christ as king, the kingdom goes to hell. And that's why Jesus was born. This is, this is the mistake we think we make when we think about Christmas. Uh, we think that like the world, you know, we were kind of trending in a positive direction. Things were going okay. And then God sent Jesus as like the, the cherry on top. He was the thing that just kind of pushed us over the edge and then things. No, God looked down on the world and it was completely broken. There was no hope. The world was literally headed for hell and Jesus puts on skin and bones and he steps into this moment. He is the one that is the catalyst. He is the one that's the savior. Without Christ, it makes sense to be in despair. Without Christ, it makes sense to see an image and it trigger you. Without Christ, it makes sense to get angry with people who won't comply and and won't consent to your worldview because they're messing up what you think will lead to utopia, what you think will lead to heaven. But not so for us Christians. We should be the most hopeful people on the planet. We should look at every single situation with a a spirit of optimism. Why? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. They have no hope. We have hope because we know the Savior. We look at all the problems. We know the solution. And so we, of all people, should have hope. No matter how bad this world looks, our hope is not of this world. Our hope is not based on some political leader, some medical leader, some financial leader, some scientific leader. It's not based on any human or any government or any politics. Our hope is based on a person from heaven named Jesus. He is our hope. And so today what I want to do, I'm going to spend the rest of our time just giving you reasons to be hopeful. Uh, The birth of Christ is a sign of hope in three ways. Number one, God loves you. God loves you. This is how Jesus explains why God sent him to earth. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Praise God this morning that Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. God doesn't hate you, he loves you. God isn't trying to hurt you, he's trying to help you. God doesn't wanna take from your life, he wants to give you eternal life, he wants to give you abundant life. And so if you're here today and you're tempted to look at your situation and believe that God must not care because you're going through a hard time, because our world doesn't look great, that God doesn't care about your problems, that God doesn't care about your stressors. If you're here today believing that, then be reminded of the birth of Christ because it's a sign. It's a sign that God looked down from heaven and he saw the injustice. He saw the pain. He saw uh, these, these people doing things that they ought not do. He saw innocent people being abused and, and, and ridiculed and treated poorly. He saw the corruption. He saw the perversion. He saw the murder. He saw the sadness. He saw the sickness. He saw the sin. He saw it all. And his response was to get off his throne in heaven, in the highest heaven, put on skin and bones, and come down here to earth to fix it himself. That was his response. It wasn't just to watch us fall into despair and fall into destruction and fall into doom. He saw all the pain, and he said, I'm going to come down there with my own two hands, and I'm going to fix it myself. God loves you. 
He's personally interested. He's personally invested in your well-being. He loves you. Christmas, the birth of Christ, is proof of that. Here's the other thing that should give you hope today. God is with you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 and following. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Sometimes the circumstances in your life have you believing that God isn't there. God's people are no exception to that. If you look at their history, we see it time and time again. Uh, They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. After that, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. After that, they were in exile for 80 years. After that, there was about a 400-year span between the books of Malachi and Matthew where it felt like God had just stopped talking to them. And so in all of those seasons, they cried out to God, and they said, God, have you given up on us? Have you forsaken us? Have you stopped talking to us? Where are you, God? Well, I want you to look at one of the promises God made at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. Uh, God makes this promise to one of the men on Jesus' family tree, a man named Jacob. He says this, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised. I'm with you. Wherever you go, I'll be there. You're You're enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. I'm there. You're wandering around the wilderness for 40 years. I'm there. You're in exile for 80 years. I'm there. You feel like things are quiet for 400 years. I'm there. Even there, I'm there with you. You're never alone. Look at what God says to his chosen people in their darkest hour. During the time of Isaiah, their homes had been burned to the ground. Many of them had been killed in a a brutal war. They'd been overcome by this foreign enemy, and many of their best and brightest had been carted off into exile. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, God says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Matthew calls Jesus the Christ. The word Christ means promised one. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise through Isaiah to the nation of Israel. Jesus is proof that God is faithful. God is a promise keeper that God is with us. Jesus was willing to be identified with the family tree that we find in Matthew chapter 1. He was willing to be identified with the backstabbing brother. He was willing to be identified with the prostitute that owned a brothel. He was willing to be identified with a demon-worshiping foreigner. He was willing to be identified with a murderous king. Let me ask you a question. If he was willing to be identified, if Jesus was willing to claim them as his family, how much more would he be willing to claim you? No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what they say or think about you, there is hope because God is with you. When you're just trying to keep your head above water, God says, I will be there. When you are fighting through the stormy seas, God says, I will be there. When you're walking through a fire, Jesus says, I will be with you, no matter how it may seem or feel. God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. There is hope because God is faithful God is with you. God, he loves you. God is with you and God is for you. God with us is great. God for us is even better. Jesus' words through Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. Jesus didn't just come to love you. He didn't just come Uh, to be with you, Jesus came to give his life for you. Jesus came to die 
for you. Jesus came to pay a ransom for you. The angel reminds Joseph that he comes from the line of David. David was a king. He was a conquering king. You remember David, he fought Goliath and, and he defeated him. David also fought a bunch of military battles. He won everyone and, and had prosperity for the nation of Israel. He was a conquering king. But it's important to be reminded of the kind of mindset that David had. As he faced the giant, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with, with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you with skinny arms and a slingshot. Is that what he says? I come at you with a strongly worded email. Reconsider your position. Is that what he says? I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That's what David says. You see, he understands that he's not fighting this battle alone. Instead, God is fighting with him, and so he has the courage to go and face the giant despite the odds. He has the courage, he has the hope to keep going in the midst of an unsurmountable battle. A little bit later in the history of Israel, three powerful armies joined forces against God's people. The king was notified of this vast army that was camped outside and camped outside of their city gates, and he called a nationwide fast. The odds were insurmountable. There was no way they were going to win this victory, and so they called on God for help. They said, Lord, please help us. The prophet stood up in the assembly of the Lord, and he gave the people a word from God. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 16, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The next day, the king assembled the army to march into battle. But he did something totally unorthodox, and he had the worshipers go to the front lines to be the first ones into the battlefield. Nobody had ever done anything like that before, and as they marched into battle, they sang a hymn. They sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And so on the way to what looked like certain death, they didn't pout, they praised God. They didn't whine, they worshiped the Lord with all their heart. And you see, that's what hope looks like. That's what hope looks like. Hope is walking to war in worship. Hope is facing your problems with praise. Hope is claiming the victory before the battle even begins. And so they march to battle and they're singing a worship song. And as they come up over the hill, they see the battlefield is littered with the bodies of their enemies. You see, before they even got there, the enemies of God's people turned on each other. They killed each other such that the people of God didn't even have to raise a finger. God defeated their enemies and they collected all of the spoils. Can anyone praise God today that Jesus is fighting for you? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? No matter how big the giant you're facing, no matter how big a battle awaits you, no matter what you are going through, there is hope today because this battle is not yours. This battle is the Lord's. The mighty warrior, the demon slayer, death's defeater is fighting for you. And if God is fighting for you, 
who and what can come against you. The arrival of Christ 2,000 years ago means there's hope today because God loves you, God is for you, and God is with you. Now, this is what you should do with hope. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is what you should do with hope. Fear not. Fear not. It's scary to walk the path that God lays before us sometimes. Scary when you're the shepherds and you're just hanging out in the field, tending your sheep, and then the heavens open up and these angels come down, these spirit beings, you, you, you probably think they're aliens. That's a scary experience. It's scary to be a pregnant virgin. It's scary for God to say, you're going to be the stepfather of the son of the living God. It's scary when powerful people, Herod's kill, um, uh, skilled assassins, uh, come against your family and try and take your family. All these things are scary. Everything about the Christmas story, if you look at it from Jesus' perspective, if you look at it from his family's perspective, it's all scary. You, you look at the news, you look at your Twitter feed, you look at your Facebook feed, you, watch, you, you hear what's going on in the world, and it's scary, the world that we're moving into. But the angel of the Lord says to each one of these people, he says to Joseph, he says to Mary, he says to the shepherds, fear not. God is reminding you today, no matter what the world may bring, do not be afraid. Why? Because what was conceived is from the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the truth. Every scary and overwhelming situation in your life, past, present, and future, it is all from the Lord. It is conceived by the Lord. Look at verse 22. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. You see, this is what, when you read the, the Christmas story, this is what you see. The Old Testament prophets have been talking about this for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Everything, God had saw it coming and he signed off on it. Uh, the teen pregnancy, that's God's plan. The teen pregnancy of Mary, that's overwhelming, but that's God's plan. The stepson, being the, the stepfather of the son of the living God, that's God's plan. Herod, coming against your family, committing uh, infanticide and trying to take out your family and you having to run to Egypt, that's part of God's plan. Even the cross of Christ is part of God's plan. And so whatever you come up against in your life, no matter what 2022 may bring, no matter how scary it may be, God saw it coming. It, none of it surprised him. He knew about it before the world began, and he signed off on it. And so if God brought you to it, he will bring you through it. <clears throat> if he brought you to it, he will bring you through it. <clears throat> so don't be afraid. Last thing, <clears throat> persevere. Persevere. <clears throat> Despair will make you want to quit. It'll make you want to quit, and that's where a lot of people are. But hope will keep you going. We need hope in order to continue to do the right things. Persevere. The angel says to Joseph, don't quit. I know you want to divorce her, and it makes sense. From your perspective, I get it. But don't. Take Mary to be your wife because God has conceived salvation in this. This is how salvation is going to come. This looks like it's a burden. This looks like this is going to derail your life. Let me tell you something. This is how salvation is going to come to the world. You see, we can endure a lot 
if there's something good awaiting us. We can endure a lot. I'm renovating a basement right now, and it's about to kill me. I don't enjoy it at all. But I see the finish line. And so guess what? Sometime this afternoon, I'm going to go and put some trim down in my basement. Some of you people run. How many of you run a race, a marathon? People run. You run for miles and miles and miles. Nothing's chasing you, but you just keep running. And then you get, I mean, your body is worn out. You feel like throwing up. You just want to sit on the side of the road, take a nap, have somebody come pick you up in a golf cart. But you keep going. Why? Because you can see the finish line, right? And there's a, there's a juicy banana waiting on you there or some sort of a trophy. You're going to get a T-shirt at the end of this. You're going to post something on Facebook. Everybody's going to brag on you. And so you keep going. There's pregnant ladies in here, three of them that I can count. It's, being, it's hard being pregnant. My wife keeps telling me that. It's very hard being pregnant. At a certain point, she's, this baby is going to have to come out, and that's going to be a very painful process. But, but guess what? All you mothers... You'll endure that pain. Why? Because at the end of it, you hold a baby in your arms, right? Don't quit. Don't quit. Many of you got an uphill battle ahead. You, there's evil forces working against you. It may feel like you can't catch a break. You can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but don't you dare give up. Because the blessing, the fulfillment of the promises, salvation is just up ahead. Joseph it's just on the other side of this nine months. Just stick with it. Mary, it's just on the other side of these contractions. Shepherds, it's just on the other side of this field. Wise men, it's just on the other side of this star. Friends, it's on the other side of this trial. It's on the other side of this tribulation. It's on the other side of this temptation. Do not give up. Victory is not far from where you are. Keep going. Keep fighting. Keep climbing, keep believing, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep doing the right things even when it feels like all the wrong things are happening. Keep trusting in the Lord. There is hope and his name is Jesus. He loves you. He is with you. He is for you. Don't be afraid. Don't give up. Have hope. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for today and this opportunity to gather around your word. Lord, I pray you'll forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, when we come to seasons like this, we come to moments like this, and we take it lightly. We don't allow the weight of this reality to fall on us and to affect us, Lord, in our day-to-day. -day. Lord, I pray today that each and every one of us will be cut to the heart by the weight, by the glory of what you've done for us, the plan that you have for us, Lord, help us to not walk in fear. Help us to not walk in despair. Help us to not be jaded by this world we're living in. Help us to be optimistic. Lord, help us to put our hope, our trust, not in the men and women of this world, not in politics, not in uh, philosophies of this world. Help us to put our hope, our trust, our everything in you. Lord, and, and don't, let us, don't let us be intimidated or overwhelmed by the circumstances that we see in this world around us, by our light and momentary troubles, Lord. Help us to not be bogged down by that, but help us, Lord, to persevere. Help us to have hope, believing that you will turn this around. You are a Savior, you are the Savior, and you are saving. Lord, that this is moving somewhere in a positive direction. 
And if we just keep going, if we just keep believing, if we just keep hoping, Lord, that we will get there and it will be worth it. So Lord, empower us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Uh, This is an opportunity for us to celebrate what God has done by singing some songs. Uh, This is also an opportunity to be prayed for. If you're here today and you're carrying a heavy load and you just don't know how you're going to overcome this, why don't you get prayed for today? I'm, I'm up here. I'd love to pray with you. You can kneel at the altar. Just come and talk to me. We've also got emblems on each side of the stage, uh, cracker and juice. This is a, it's a symbol of the body and the blood of Christ. And this is a perfect Sunday to be reminded that Jesus took the absolute worst that the world and the enemy could throw at him. Took the absolute worst. And so whatever you're going through right now, however painful it may be, however overwhelming it may be, understand Jesus took that on himself. Willingly, knowingly, he walked up that hill and he he let it all fall on his shoulders. And he took the worst that the world could throw at him. And we thought the story was over. They buried him in a borrowed tomb, but three days later, he busts up out of the tomb. He busts up out of the tomb as a way to say, I have overcome everything the enemy tried to destroy me with. And he says, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. There's all sorts of it. It's around every corner. There's trouble waiting for you at work tomorrow. There's trouble waiting for you at school tomorrow. There's trouble waiting for you in a marriage. There's trouble waiting for you in your resources, your finances, in your health. There's trouble just around the corner. But Jesus says, take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Nothing's too hard for men. So be reminded of that today. Let's celebrate it as we sing.